Detroit's transformation has been incredible. Remember what Detroit was like 10 years ago, or you may not want to. The progress has been incredible, and it's been about all of us working together. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was, of course, Governor Rick Snyder talking about the city of Detroit during his final State of the State address last night uh, in Lansing. He used Detroit as an example of one of the successes of his two terms in office. But, of course, that success is not without controversy. A lot of things about the city of Detroit, the state-led emergency management, the municipal bankruptcy, and the treatment of longtime residents compared to new folks who are investing in and moving to Detroit have all been controversial aspects the last few years. So what is the state of the city of Detroit, specifically for the majority of people who live here? And when we talk about that, we are talking about African-Americans, black Detroiters, Our next guest has spent some time pondering this question. Chase Cantrell asked himself this question, what role should Detroit be playing as a national model for black culture, investment, development, and thought? He's a former host of the Urban Consulate here in Detroit. He worked through that question in his final parlor talk a couple weeks ago, and he joins us here today. He is the executive director of building community value. Chase Cantrell, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I I think that's a super interesting question to ask. I think it's a very interesting way to pose uh, uh, the the question about how we're doing, how we're doing as Detroiters, how we're doing here in Michigan. You not only asked the question, uh, you provided some answers. Uh, You talked about some of the things that you think we need to be doing, thinking about, and in particular, the things we you think we ought to be talking about. Right. Uh, you're really focused on the idea that we need to be talking with each other and especially with the folks who have been here a long time, who are natives of this city, who live in places that are being left out, mm-hmm. left behind uh, in, this, in this recovery. We need to bring everyone together to be able to talk about these things and talk about them honestly. That's right. And in, in fact, I often say that those who are closest to the problems are closest to the solutions. So, uh, you know, through Urban Consulate, I had the chance to really uh, talk with a lot of Detroiters. We, we hosted about 50 public conversations. We invited in um, politicians, developers, architects, just all, all sorts of people to talk about what they saw, what they saw um, happening in the city. And what I heard time and time again is that there was this really this dissatisfaction with the with the way that the city is evolving um, and, and, and a fear in some way that it's, it's not inclusive of the Detroiters who um, have stuck it out, who have been here through all of the hard times and are not seeing the kind of recovery um, that, frankly, they expect and they deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about things like that, for me, that's become a much more much more personal mm-hmm. narrative uh, in the last few years as I've sort of turned my attention back uh, and more intensely toward the neighborhood where I was born, uh, over near Livernois and and Grand River, which is one of those places that right. Uh, right. that you can walk up and down the streets, uh, or as I have, uh, you know, spend a lot of time with the people who live there, talking to them about what their lives are like, what their needs look like, and what is happening in those places, and you see. It's not the same. It's not the same remotely as what's right. going on in these exciting parts of town. Uh, the the racial aspect of that, I think, is important to talk about. But that becomes controversial. A lot of people don't want to 
lot of people don't want to put it in the context of race. Talk mm-hmm. about why it's important to acknowledge that. Right. Well, it's important to understand the, the history of the region. So just, just thinking back to how Detroit became a black city, which, you know, I, I often talk about Detroit as a black city because, one, I think it's important to acknowledge what, what we are, but also to um, really invite people into the conversation about how it became um, a city that is 80 percent African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that history is tinged with both, you know, economic trends, macroeconomic trends um, that, you know, we see in urban settings throughout the United States, but also really a, a very particular kind of um racial tension that exists in our region that makes it the most segregated region in the United States. So, right. I mean, if, if we, you know, if we don't focus on race, we're, we're missing a part of the dialogue that really can help us heal and move forward and, and really create a more equitable Detroit that all can participate in. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of times uh, when we're talking about race, what I say is that uh, it's not the choice of black people exactly. to, to talk about things in racial terms. Mm-hmm. It's what's been foist upon us. I mean, it's it's the circumstances that we've had to endure, not just in the last 50 years, but in the last 400 uh, on this continent in terms of the way that things have been set up uh, to, to exclude us, to, to, to not acknowledge us, even as, as human beings in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, that requires, uh, in 2018, an, an honest con- confrontation of the idea that these things have racial dynamics and 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 race does matter, uh, and talking about that doesn't mean that you're embracing racial separation or animosity. It just means you're acknowledging the truth, right? And, and even more than that, acknowledging that truth allows us to to really dig into the trauma that Detroiters feel um, from from that sort of systemic oppression that we see from the racial tension in the region. So. For, for example, thinking about uh, the, the resources that, that left the city, um, not even really in, in the 1960s, but before then, mm-hmm. you know, um, between you know, the late 1940s and mid-1950s, 25 new plants, um, automotive plants, were built in the region, and none of them were built in the city of Detroit. So, I mean, you had this exodus of, of resources, of capital, and people that left behind you know, black Detroiters. Yeah. Um, so when we think Left through, behind by design. I mean, by the design, laws, exactly. uh, the practices said, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. You can't come out here, or you couldn't buy a house in, in the suburbs uh, if you were African-American as right. these suburbs were built. They built the freeways to make it easier for people to escape. Uh, essentially built walls to keep black people from from following behind which which wasn't just a system built by you know the city the city of Detroit or, or regions around uh, Detroit but it was it was federal policy this that was allowed national, yeah. this is national this is federal policy that allowed uh, this, the suburbs to grow as they did and for black people to be excluded from from those suburbs so. yeah uh, you, you talk about a number of different uh, ways to, to, to think about these things in terms of solution here uh, and I want to get to them before we run out of time cooperative sure. economics is is one of them I think that's really important empowering Detroit residents to work together mm-hmm. pool their resources to participate in the economic growth that's ha- that's happening. Here. Right. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, again, you know, Detroit is not an island that, you know, there is a deep income and wealth gap between African-Americans and, and white people in the United States. Yeah. Um, so thinking about the kinds of developments that we want to see, um, we don't necessarily have access to financing and capital in the same way that our white counterparts do. Yeah. So to, in, in order to make the kinds of things happen that we want to see in our neighborhoods, we have to pull those resources. Again, um, it's a it's a strategy of survival, but you know we we have to do that in order to to move things forward. So I'm thinking of you know for example the um, Detroit Black Community Food Security Network led by um, Executive Director Maliki Keeney mm-hmm. um, has a really great project. It's going to be on Woodward Avenue in Euclid. Um, it's the Detroit People's Food Co-op. 
um, where it, it really is a cooperative model where, you know, Detroiters will be able to own um, a full service grocery store in the city of Detroit. Um, I'm thinking of another model, um, something called Cooperative Capital that just launched um, this, this month, in fact, where, you know, using Michigan securities laws, they're allowing Detroiters to, to, to invest together to invest in Detroit real estate projects. So yeah. really, really being creative about the structures that we're creating that allow Detroiters to participate. About dealing people in exactly. instead of leaving them out. Uh, space equity is another uh, issue that you talk about. And, mm-hmm. and you talk about that not just in terms of preserving uh, black cultural spaces, but this idea of uh, ownership mm-hmm. of land, intentional ownership of land, and planning and development to to make sure that the people who live here uh, are not left out of decision making. Right, and this and this is something that I've really dedicated my life to. So I stepped away um, from practicing real estate law to to found an organization called Building Community mm-hmm. Value, mm-hmm. and and one of the goals is to teach Detroiters how to how to do development. So we actually have a training course in, co- in cooperation with the University of Michigan that teaches Detroiters how to do small scale development, and that's. You know, that, that vacant house across the street or it could be a small commercial property in the neighborhood. How do you acquire it? How do you understand the economic analysis? How do you actually develop that parcel? So, you know, in terms of wealth building, we know that in the U.S., owning owning land and owning property is the best way to, to actually build wealth. And we need to have Detroiters, especially, you know, black and brown Detroiters, understand that development isn't something that's necessarily white-led. We also can be developers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and all of this, I think, uh, feeds into this idea of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Right. You've got to have you've got to have platforms and forums available for people to talk about the things that are holding them back and to talk about the opportunities that might uh, that might allow them to move forward. Right. So it's that sort of knowledge transfer that happens in those spaces that's important. But more than that, um, to be able to talk about stories. you know, Detroiters' stories, their ideas, like being being able to share, um, you know, the, the, the common experience that Detroiters have, I think that's important, but it can't stop at dialogue, right? It has to go beyond dialogue to actual action. I think a lot of us um, get get caught up in, in doing a lot of talking, a lot of um, public speaking, but, uh, you know, we have to have an <laughs> Let's action plan. Let's make it mean something, right? <laughs> right? It has to mean something, otherwise... Um, otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, and and that's difficult. I mean, uh, as I say, I've become really involved in the neighborhood where I was born in terms of uh, uh, property uh, property improvement, but also trying to to make that matter in terms of changing the lives of the people or opening up opportunities for the lives of the people that are there. It's really, really difficult, and much more difficult, I think, than people think from the outside. And one of the reasons is. That so many of the systems uh, that used to exist for those things to work are gone, mm-hmm. and you're starting from scratch, and really starting from scratch, getting to to getting the the folks who are in these situations to believe even that uh, that there can be better, and that they can they can own that better, right? Right. That, uh, that they can they can change. The fortunes of their neighbors, and, and, and the way and the way that that happens, though, I mean, you have to have collective. Collective impact, right? This this isn't just one nonprofit, one governmental agency going and saying we're going to fix this. It has to be across domains. Um, you know, this is philanthropy, government, academia, um, community development corporations, n- neighborhood block clubs, 
all coming together towards defined common goals with metrics. Um, and, and that's really hard to do, but that's the work that we have to do to actually move Detroit forward. Otherwise, we'll, we will have two Detroits. Yeah. Uh, you say that the state of, uh, of Detroit uh, from this perspective is not strong. I think it's not strong. Um, I, I, and that's because of the things that we're seeing in terms of displacement, uh, lack of opportunity and things. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a whole lot of indicators. But, but before we run out of time, I want you to talk about – you know, the levers that are within our reach, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to talk about what can I do now? What can I do tomorrow that moves this even just a little bit in the opposite direction? Right. So I think it's, again, that collective impact. So for those who are living in neighborhoods trying to figure out how to actually get things moving, I think that it's figuring out those entities in the neighborhoods who are, who are trying to do the work. So, you know, um, community development organizations, churches, um, have a big role to play. Um, getting connected, actually getting involved, and not um, not simply seeing the negatives that are happening, but trying to actually reach out to neighbors and other people in your neighborhood to to try to begin working together. Um, that also takes the government being able to being willing to work with those organizations to actually move that needle forward. There was uh, an article recently Scott Benson called um, for a war on poverty. It's one yes, of our council, council people and. You know, again, even he talked about collective impact in that article. It's really working together across domains. And if the government's not willing to do that, you know, we, we really won't be able to, to move that needle forward. Yeah. Okay. Chase Cantrell, executive director of Building Community Value, host emeritus of the Urban Consulate here in Detroit. Really fascinating piece that you've written and work that you're doing. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back uh, tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. Remember, if you had to step away from your radio for any reason, you can go and download the Detroit Today podcast at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. We'll see you tomorrow.